Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So Samantha, what are your what are your thoughts on sharks? You know, as I've talked about, I have many of weird phobias. And I guess I did not realize how many that I had until people started asking me to do things or if I was interested in things. And then when people mm-hmm. would suggest things, I'm like, oh, actually, I'm scared of that. Mm-hmm. And sharks and creatures in the sea scare me. One of those things is like, if I can't see the bottom, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't. If I can't see in the water, hell no, hell no. Mm-hmm. I don't know <laughs> if it's because of the many tales that I've heard of people losing a limb and or being like bitten on or chewed on a little bit or stung. Um, all of those things have scared me pretty darn well so that I don't like going too deep into the ocean. I don't want to scuba. I don't want to do any of those things. The one time I went to Puerto Rico and all we did was like, you know, we were not that far out, but they were like, here's the scuba, all you need to do. And when I figured out what was around me, I immediately got out. I was like, oh my God, I can see these things now. I have to leave. So mm-hmm. all that to say, yeah, sharks scare me. I absolutely believe like all the amazing people who do great things and I love the little videos of people making friends. That's so adorable, but hell no. <laughs> hell no. They make me panic. And then, like, when I see the videos of people who are doing the uh, little rafting or the canoeing or whatever it is that they're doing out there, and then there's a big creature underneath them, I'm like, that makes my heart skip a beat. Right. In a bad way. (laughs) Right. Uh, So I have a lot of feelings on it. Yes. Yes. Some of them irrational. (laughs) (laughs) I suspected you might. Uh, I suspected you might. I... I'm actually also afraid of sharks, but I also love sharks. I like many people, and I know to anyone who's listening who works with sharks, this is going to really bother you. But I uh, love the movie Jaws, and I would watch it every summer because I'm a masochistic weird child. Uh, and then I would be afraid. I would be afraid every time I went into the water. I had a friend who had like a story of being, she saw a shadow in a pool and thought it was a shark. I feel we just always be on edge. And I have seen some sharks while swimming. Um, I, when I was scuba diving in Australia, I turned around and there was this big old gray nurse shark uh, right there. And I just froze, like T-Rex rules. Although, luckily for me, I had done a, a report on gray nurse sharks in high school because... I also think that sharks are misunderstood. (laughs) Yes. But uh, gray nurse sharks don't, they were almost extinct, if I'm remembering correctly, or they were definitely endangered because they look mean. They look like white, great white sharks, but they actually, I don't think they can even bite. Like their mouths don't open enough um, to really do any damage to humans. So it was like this really tragic thing that happened. So luckily, I was like, pretty sure that's a gray nurse shark. I'm definitely not going to engage. <laughs> I hope it just goes away. <laughs> but pretty sure it's a gray, gray nurse shark. I have had a couple of close encounters with sharks. I, I'm thinking of at least three off the top of my head that were pretty scary. Um, but I won't go into them because we were trying not to fear monker about sharks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't tell me these stories. 
Oh, I'm going to tell you, you. Off, off. Oh, no. <laughs> you have to hear it. Um, I'm fine. It all worked out. So before we get into this, uh, we did want to put a quick trigger warning. We're going to be talking about um, some sexual harassment and sexual assaults and kind of just general ickiness around all of that. Um, we're not going to get into, into anything too specific, but put that right at the top. But this was an old request from a listener, Vicky. And I hope you're still listening, Vicky. I believe this request was from several, several years ago. We will get to all your requests. Sometimes it takes a minute. <laughs> and should we be talking about sharks and women in shark science during Shark Week? No, because it is a holiday topic. And here's why. <laughs> I recently just rewatched the movie Jaws the Revenge. Also known. She had a whole like planned as <laughs> like they all they did a little like a streaming matinee of Jaws. I was very surprised. Yes, yes. I'd actually forgotten it was a Christmas movie at this point. It was just kind of a pleasant, well, Christmas movie and very loose. <laughs> loose it takes Term, place at yes, Christmas. Yes. It is also called Jaws 4 The Revenge from 1987. And if you will allow me, here's a brief synopsis. It is a sequel to Jaws 2, ignoring what happens in Jaws 3D, and it centers primarily on Ellen Brody, played by Lorraine Gray. Her husband, Martin Brody, had recently died of a heart attack, and she loses her son in a shark attack at the beginning of the movie, um, and the actor who plays him now owns a restaurant in Atlanta that's walking distance from me. And yes... Takes place at Christmas. There's a whole thing where there's a Christmas carol playing when her son dies, and if they hadn't been singing, they might have heard his cries for help. Now, the moral of the story, don't sing Christmas carols. <laughs> there you go. I mean, we've been talking about that for a while. Stop singing Christmas songs if it's not near Christmas. But overall, just don't sing Christmas songs. Just kidding. <laughs> if, I, if it's one thing I learned from Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> um, so... Ellen becomes convinced that this shark wants revenge on her family after the past two outcomes of sharks coming in contact with her family, ending up in those sharks dying. Uh, the tagline of the film is, this time, it's personal. <laughs> her remaining son, Michael, who is a marine biologist, convinces her to come down to the Bahamas after assuring her there are and have never been sharks in the waters down there. Never. Nope. <laughs> the pilot, Hoagie, played by Michael Caine, immediately <laughs> shows interest in Ellen, an interest that is reciprocated. And well, wouldn't you know it, a shark shows up when Michael is conducting research and seems to only be interested in attacking him. Hmm. Michael doesn't tell his mother, who is having nightmares, flashbacks, and seemingly premonitions about a shark trying to kill her family. After an attempted shark attack on her granddaughter, Ellen takes a boat and goes out to confront the shark. Michael admits what has been going on when they, they catch up via plane. <laughs> Michael admits what has been going on with the shark, with he and some colleagues, including Hoagie. They catch up with her. Um, they confront the shark and with several fake-out deaths of the human of the shark, of some inexplicable dancing and an explosion, Ellen impales the shark. Um, while seeing visions of her family and other sharks, many uh, she'd never seen, never seen before. And yes, in the edited version, this somehow causes an explosion. Uh, there's more than one ending to this movie. Now, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, that sounds kind of bizarre, it is. It was not well-reviewed. <laughs> it was widely panned. It was the last of the Jaws series to date. <laughs> 
But I do think it has some interesting things in there. Um, you've got the whole like women's intuition um, with Ellen and this trauma and like constantly being dismissed. Admittedly, this shark premonitions a little different than what we're normally talking about, but she was right. <laughs> she was right. And then I always love this line. Apparently, Michael Caine has never seen this movie. And he has a quote where he said, I've never seen it. I hear it's quite, by all accounts, it's quite terrible, but I have seen the house it bought and it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have this whole side plot with older widowed women dating um, and Michael being weird about it. Um, like, it's kind of strange. But also Michael Caine's character, watching it, because this was my second viewing of this film, he does seem to have a little bit of suspicious things going on in his life, but she she knows what she's doing as well. She wants to be happy. Uh, <laughs> doesn't have problematic depictions of the Bahamas and people that live there. Yes. But uh, this is... It's one of those movies where I, I was watching it and I, I sometimes you just don't expect all this Christmas imagery in a movie about sharks. I know that bringing up Jaws, yes, does not endear me to any shark scientist. Though, interestingly, in Jaws the Revenge, there is some shark science happening. And speaking of, yes, uh, today we wanted to talk about some of the women who have done and are doing amazing work in the field of shark science. The, the real non-fictional field of shark science. A couple of stats before we get into that. Despite the fact that modernly about 60% of graduate students in the U.S. are women, the majority of senior scientists in it are white men. Some articles use the term the Petri Shark Sea for this specifically niche one we're talking about today. A 2013 study across scientific disciplines found 64% of those surveyed experienced sexual harassment on the job and 20% experienced sexual assault. And racism. A recent BBC study found that seven seminal textbooks used to teach science and medicine to undergraduates did not feature a single black woman in them. So the situation isn't great for sharks either. Over 100 million sharks are lost a year due to commercial industries. Yes, yes. So that's kind of setting the stage for what we're talking about. Um, and one name that comes up a lot in this conversation of women and shark science is Dr. Eugenie Clark. From childhood, Clark had loved sharks and showed an interest in taking care of the oceans. She was born in New York City on May 4th, 1922. Her father was American and her mother was Japanese. She often credited her mom and Japanese culture for fostering her love for the sea and passion for protecting it. As a kid, she enjoyed spending her Saturdays at the New York Aquarium, watching the sharks and wondering what it would be like to swim with them. Uh, she became a marine biologist despite all of the sexism she encountered over her career from extremely early on. Uh, in her words, she says, As a child, marine biologist explorer William Beebe was my hero, and I used to read about him going down in the bathysphere, and I wanted to do that too. And I told my family, and they said, Well, maybe you can take up typing and get to be the secretary of William Beebe or somebody like him. 
And when she applied for graduate school at Columbia University, a scientist told her, quote, if you do finish, you'll probably get married, have a bunch of kids, and never do anything in science after we've invested our time and money in you. Well, damn. Yeah. These people are real supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, that was not the case. Boom. She got her PhD from New York University in platys and swordfish reproduction and through her work earned the nickname the Shark Lady as a leader in the field. During her time as a Fulbright scholar, she explored the largely unexplored waters of the Red Coast of Egypt, an experience which led her to write the best-selling book Lady with a Sphere in 1953. She went on to take a job at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography when diving was still a pretty risky thing to do. Her hose malfunctioned at one point and she nearly drowned. And she still had to deal with institutional sexism. For instance, at one time, women were not allowed to do overnight research trips or trips to places like the Galapagos Islands. Clark became the founding director of the Cape Hayes Marine Laboratory, or what is now the Moat Marine Laboratory and Aquarium in 1955. And this is where she really delved and fostered her love of sharks, and she really made it her goal to change their image. She once said, people generally thought that sharks are dumb eating machines. After some study, I began to realize that these gangsters of the deep have gotten a bad rap. So she conducted several experiments to make her point, and in one, she showed that sharks could tap plates to obtain food, and they could distinguish between two symbols on different plates. On top of this, she also discovered the first known effective shark repellent called Moses' soul. Just in case you're curious, it was made out of flat fish secretions, so... All right, let's go get some. (laughs) She debunked the myth that sharks had to keep moving to breathe with her discovery of sleeping sharks in undersea caves in Mexico. She was an outspoken public speaker and defender of sharks. In fact, she jumped to the defense of sharks after the movie Jaws came out in 1975. One of her most well-known articles was a piece in National Geographic called Sharks, Magnificent and Misunderstood. So she married five times. So she did get married. But not to quit, huh? Yeah. She married five times and had four children. Um, up until 1992, she was a teacher, and she kept diving until her death in 2015 at the age of 92. In an interview, she said, quote, I figure if I'm in a wheelchair, they can wheel me to the end of the boat and put on a tack on my back and dump me over the side of the boat, and I can go down to the bottom, and I can study these fishes as long as I want. If you want to learn more, so many books have been written about her and by her, like children's books, science books, all kinds of books. Amazing. I know, I know. Um, (laughs) Brief Julia Child fact. For a time during World War II, Julia Child worked for an agency that collected and analyzed intel for the Office of Strategic Services, or the OSS. The story is fascinating, but for our purposes in this episode, at one point, she was assigned to the Emergency Sea Rescue Equipment Section and tasked with developing a shark repellent. What they came up with was something that smelled like dead sharks that showed, quote, slight repellents. <laughs> nice. Then there's Melissa Cristina Marquez, the mother of sharks. Puerto Rican scientist, author, and public speaker, Marquez is outspoken when it comes to the importance of understanding and protecting sharks. She's also passionate about diversifying the field. Quote, I not only focus on diverse sharks because there are over 500 different species, but I also want people to see the diverse scientists that study them as well. Growing up watching Shark Week, I never saw any female scientists, let alone any female Latina scientists. So with the organization that I have, I want people to see themselves in a lineup of shark scientists and be like, great, I can do this. I work with really inspirational people who help me be better and to keep pushing through the racism, the sexism, and the ageism. 
She was also attacked by a crocodile while on a shark dive in 2018. All good. And she continues to dive. I also don't like crocodiles. <laughs> so, in 2013, Gillian Morris Brake launched Sharks for Kids with the goal of providing free educational materials for teachers to use in classrooms. The program also offers uh, in-person visits, tours, trips, and shark tagging expeditions. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, I would have loved that as a kid. Don't want to do it, though. Oh, nope. I would have loved it. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> um, so now let's talk about Minorities in Shark Sciences, or MISS, M-I-S-S. This organization was founded in June 2020 after the hashtag Black in Nature, in conjunction with the hashtag Black Birders Week, um, were trending, hosted by at Black AF in STEM. It was founded by Yasmin Graham, Amani Weber-Schultz, Carly Jackson, and Jada Elcock. From their website, we were founded by four black female shark researchers. We strive to be seen and take up space in a discipline which has been largely inaccessible for women like us. We strive to be positive role models for the next generation. We seek to promote diversity and inclusion in shark science and encourage women of color to push through barriers and contribute knowledge in marine science. Finally, we hope to topple the system that has historically excluded women like us and create an equitable path to shark science. We believe diversity in scientists creates diversity in thought, which leads to innovation. Weber Schultz has been open about how she is careful about who she works with in the face of violent racist threats she's received. Quote, I need to feel that whoever I'm working for or with will have my back and stand up for me in situations where it is not safe for me to stand up for myself. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Graham said of the founding... Thinking about those slaves freed in Texas, if they could know in the future that they are going to be black people getting PhDs and they're going to be black people publishing papers and everything, that would blow their mind. But it doesn't just stop there. The barriers should not exist at all, and the work is not finished. And the founding of MISS is a continuation of all of the work that was started by those that came before us. Um, they also started Guild Guardians to educate the public about sharks, skates, and rays. And on top of that, they have the Rising Ties Mentorship Program. So let's take a look at today because while these badass women have made great strides and against odds stacked against them, the field still has a lot of issues. In August 2020, Catherine McDonald wrote, the dark side of being a female shark researcher. Being a scientist should not require developing the grit to continually endure misogyny, discrimination, harassment, assault, or bullying. And in it, she described her experience with all of the above, from a young intern just starting off in shark science. She also highlights how Discovery Channel's annual event, Shark Week, a week of content that draws millions of viewers, very rarely features women or people of color in leading roles. She described her first experience in the field as an intern being relegated into a sexualized supporting role for the lead male scientist on camera and speaking at her first conference and being attacked so aggressively by a male scientist that another man apologized for him saying he does that to a female graduate student every year or two. Okay, so that's okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes it better. Yeah. Um, this conference typically ended in an auction in which grad students in revealing outfits paraded items up for bid around the room, an event where one senior scientist would sit with the, quote, prettiest students. Women had to be on guard from unwanted touches. Um, the first male grad student who helped display auction items at this event had his ass slapped by a senior scientist dude who said, 
quote, for old time's sake. McDonald also described a photo from a past conference where a male senior scientist had his hand between the legs of two female scientists lifting them. One is laughing while the other appears to be about to cry. Dear God. Yeah, so McDonald also describes how during the early days of her career, she was verbally harassed, masturbated at, and sexually assaulted. She recalled how undergraduate women were referred to as, quote, fresh meat. A woman she spoke to about this shared a story about how she had been so happy to be invited to a dinner with a prominent male scientist. And she said, I accepted and thought we were heading to a restaurant. Turns out we went to his house. From there, he indicated I smelled bad and it would be best if I took a shower. I thought it was awesome but I decided to do it. While showering, I looked up at the ceiling and I saw a camera lens sticking out of one of the ceiling tiles and I could not believe my eyes. I gave the camera a bird so he knew I knew. I went out, said nothing, and had dinner. I left. I did not confront him. I did not have the courage. I wish I had. I'm only saddened to think he did this to many women. It's humiliating to think he watched me. Oh, God. And another woman told her that a senior male scientist told her that her career was game over when she told him she was pregnant. Many others told her they'd been asked out by superiors and how they'd been afraid of the repercussions to their career if they turned these men down. Uh, Pretty much every woman she spoke to described experiencing at least light misogyny, uh, comments asking who you slept with to get where you were, or that they were, you know, strong for a girl. Observations about their bodies doubts about their experience. And in one example, a woman featured in Shark Week was called by her first name despite being a doctor, while a man who wasn't a doctor was referred to as a doctor and his last name. And being on Shark Week as a shark scientist is obviously a huge career boost um, and a chance to get some visibility. So how ridiculously disrespectful. Yeah. Absolutely. One study about Shark Week found that over the 30 plus years it's been running, 93% of the experts were white or white passing and 79% identified as male. Here's a quote from the study. Of the hosts and experts featured in more than five episodes, there were more men who were non-scientist named Mike than there were women of any name or occupation. That is really specific. Burns. Burns me up. (laughs) Wow. Non-scientist name, Mike. Okay. An initiative by the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy called the Gills Club, founded by Cynthia Weigren and Marianne Long, fights against the stigma and discrimination against women in STEM, in part because of the unfortunately accurate gender gaps presented in Shark Week. When Tiffany Haddish hosted the 33rd Shark Week, she was the first woman of color to do so. So that had to be super recent. Yeah. Also, shark scientists have released a few studies that have shown that Shark Week is negative in terms of the public perceptions on sharks and often inaccurate. Another woman McDonald spoke to created an educational program for girls in science only to find out a male supervisor was taking credit for it in the media. When she confronted him, quote, he told me I overestimated my contribution and at no point should have felt ownership over my work. I considered fighting and exposing him, but at the time that felt insurmountable. He was protected by a massive institution, and I was protected by absolutely nothing. 
Overestimated. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because of how shark field work works, often in remote locations, in close quarters, in mixed gender sleeping situations, requiring physical contact between scientists, especially when restraining an animal, there are a lot of areas where sexual harassment and assault can occur. And the academic journal Nature Geoscience, which includes ocean science, found that no real progress has been made in terms of diversity for over 40 years. Here's another quote from McDonald. Becoming a scientist should not require developing the grit to continually endure misogyny, discrimination, harassment, assault, or bullying. But from their earliest experiences, women scientists learn that if they complain, they'll be described as difficult or a problem. If they're heartbroken by how they're treated compared to their male peers, they'll be told they're too emotional and need to grow a thicker skin. And if they leave the field, the problem was them. They weren't tough enough to hack it in shark science. Which unfortunately, a lot of this rings true for several other <laughs> fields we've talked about. Right. We just right. hear these stories over and over again. It's always so infuriating and upsetting. Yeah. And you know what? I was just thinking, like, probably top five uh, things that children will say about when they want to grow up. Marine biologist is one of them. Yeah. Veterinarian is another, but the marine biologist always stuck in my mind because it was almost like a running joke that everybody said this. And I'm like, there's it's so much, such a small field in comparison to, but perhaps it's more so that it's so little opportunity outside of white men that it feels like it's such a small field and it shouldn't be. Right. Yeah. Cause the oceans are huge. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it's been undiscovered. Mm hmm. There's so much to learn, and especially now when we've got like climate change and pollution and all that stuff going on. Yeah, I wanted to be a marine biologist, and my cousin, I had a cousin who worked in it for a while. She had a really cool wedding. Uh, I was not invited to it, but it was cool. Like at an aquarium or something, but uh, (laughs) she, I guess she succeeded. But I know it's just, yeah, hearing these stories, oh. It makes me so angry. Right. You know, one of the best stories about sharks that I think I have watched recently, I think it was on the Dodo, a woman named uh, Christina Zanato uh, goes and gets hooks out of shark's mouth. And oh, she's a diver, uh-huh. I believe, has done this for years. And she's even made friends with one that remembers her. And oh, she wow. would go and visit them. Yeah, like it was just this cutest little like video of her. She recorded it year after year and they would run into each other. And she's like, this is my friend, da-da-da. Um, and she's been doing this for 13 years. And she has this huge collection of hooks that she has been able to remove from the mouths wow. of sharks. And I was like, wow. That makes me like the sharks a little more because A, they're the victim here and I feel bad. B, she's so nice and they're friendly. But I'm like, still no. Still no. <laughs> and that's okay, Samantha. That's okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, we did go over quite a few distressing facts in this one. But so, so many of the women scientists in shark science are doing amazing things. And a lot of this did give me, like, hope. Like, I almost wasn't expecting to find this much information, to be honest. Right. But it's still, yeah, we have so much work to go. And so, so, so many of the scientists when we were researching this in shark science have said that they just didn't see themselves represented growing up or not even really now. So still a lot of work to do. And there are so many amazing women doing that great work. If we didn't mention one, or if we didn't mention you 
and you happen to be listening, yes. please write in. Uh, we would love to hear about the work you're doing or the work of someone you know. And also we may return to some of these women in the future to dig dig in deeper. Dive in deeper. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I just want to include random shark facts. I actually do really enjoy sharks. They can have virgin verse. The sex is real rough. Um, and they have a sixth sense, electromagnetism, which is featured in Jaws 2. Probably I was going to say, isn't that a plot? Yeah. <laughs> inaccurately, yeah. but it is in there. <laughs> um, so, listeners, as always, we would love to hear from you. If you would like to email us, you can. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I'll never told you. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I'll Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.